Have you ever walked into a place and you immediately knew you were in the presence of God? It's like this overwhelming feeling of being hit with a presence that you can't even put words to. I mean, you really are left speechless. It may even feel like you're having this sort of out of body experience. It's extremely overwhelming. I felt that way looking at the Grand Canyon. If you've been there, you know, and you can try to describe it to people, but until you see it with your own eyes, there's no words can capture how large and how deep and how beautiful it is. Or maybe the first time you saw the ocean, Again, you've been told how big it is and how it seems to go on forever and ever, but until you see it, you don't know. Or maybe you've had the privilege of traveling in Europe and going to old cathedrals, and even though they smell kind of musty, they're usually kind of cold, there's not these comfortable pews in them usually, and they're dark and dim, they're still such a sense of holiness in those places. And, the release, and as you realize that people have worshiped there for hundreds and hundreds of years is incredible. Or being, if you have the chance of being in the Holy Land as touristy as it is and how over the top some of the sites are, there's no denying that that place has power. Or maybe you've been in a hospital room or you've Um, met a newborn baby in their home, being in the presence of new life. Or maybe, like for myself, when I see the sign that says, welcome to Kansas, I realize I'm in the presence of God. (laughs) See, there's something about being faced with that presence of God, that trinity that knocks you off of your feet. There really are not enough words to describe God. We have tried, and there's a lot of words we use, but we can never fully describe who God is. But you know that there is something within you when you feel God, when you have encountered God that forever changes you. And there can be a lot of mixed emotions when we have those moments, because again, it's overwhelming. It can be this out-of-body experience. Words escape you but you know that something changes in you. Today we find ourselves in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, and to many of you it may be a familiar passage, and to some it may not, Uh, but let's go ahead and read Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, I am lost. 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now I want us to try to put ourselves in this story. So Isaiah, this prophet, has this vision and gets a glimpse of God and all of God's holiness. We read that the the robe uh, filled the room. There's these seraphs that have six wings that are going around. There's this fog that had this smoke that has filled the room. Maybe that's why fog machines were used. They used to be all their rage in contemporary worship uh, spaces. They're trying to pump in the presence of God. I don't know. And there's this chanting and singing about how holy the Lord is. To me, it reminded me of the classic scene where Dorothy encounters the wizard. See, there's something terrifying because like Dorothy, Isaiah realizes how small he may be. He's faced with such greatness. And we see that Isaiah sees the fullness of God and is taken aback. There's this feeling of conviction, of exposure, of, un- of uncovering what is within him. And it doesn't necessarily feel good. The word he uses is unclean. That's what Isaiah feels in this moment. That's what is revealed to him. But I want to point out something that's really important as I read this. How does Isaiah come to that conclusion? Did God say that? Whether Seraph's chanting about how unclean and how terrible he was, did God rain down with wrath or bring about shame or have this list of shortcomings of Isaiah? No, God did not do that. Isaiah was simply faced with the magnitude of God's holiness and it made him do, I guess what we would call self-reflection. Isaiah held up the mirror to himself and he realized, I need to be transformed. I am not worthy. It was solely the holiness, the presence of God that made him come to this conclusion. And so the story really made me think of two things. So we just finished a five-week series called Faith Matters. And Chris used a, uh, an example or a proof of a Gallup poll that had um, that revealed that for the first time less than 50% of Americans identify with being a member of a church, a synagogue, or a mosque. And I haven't been able to get it out of my head because I keep thinking about the people that probably want to step into our church but are afraid to be met, that they're going to be met with judgment and wrath and shame. The God that they have heard um, is one that doesn't give a piece of coal that helps cleanse or heal or comfort or take things away, but they've been told about this coal that 
burns is painful, that shames them, that judges them. So it breaks my heart that people are afraid to step into a church or let alone be in a relationship with God or even be friends with Christians because of the way that we have betrayed what we thought was the fullness of God, the Trinity. We simply portrayed or showed or told our interpretation or one aspect of God and not the full story. Now, if I know many of you are still getting to know me. I haven't been here quite a year, but I mentioned in one sermon that I love memes. I live for them, and this one always makes me chuckle. So this one is of Beyonce looking at her daughter, judging her. Now, it's funny, but we've all had this kind of moment where we've been sitting in church and we've nudged our kids or maybe our spouse at a certain talking point. Maybe we've been driving home and you think, man, that sermon was really good today, especially when that pastor was talking about blah, blah, blah. Didn't it make you think of anyone? See, the issue is we have done too much talking and telling people how they need to change or how they need to live up to something rather than letting the person encounter God, the Trinity for themselves. See, people enter, enter, enter our sanctuary and maybe look, we look over and say with our eyes, see, they're talking about you. You're the one that needs to change. You're the sinner. My beloved old pastor, Stan Copeland, who serves at Lover's Lane down in Dallas, used to say all the time, look, it's our job to catch them, meaning the people bring them in, but it's God's job to clean them. See, from the beginning of this book, we see a God that loves and gives second chances. Is there high expectations? Are there commandments? Yes, a lot of them human-made. See, there's no denying that there is something that is expected of us, but the way that God goes about it, it's this continual offering of grace and love and forgiveness. And God uses people that are entirely flawed, who have sinned, who have committed great sins for that matter. You know, people love John 3.16, but I think John 3.17 has even more power or tells even more about who God is. To remind you, it says, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Or we can name numerous encounters of Jesus and those people and how he met them with such love and grace. Have you ever noticed that the stories in the Bible with Jesus, it's not him showing up to people's doors and being like, I just came here to tell you how sinful and how terrible you are and all the things that you've messed up. He didn't do any of that. He embraced everyone. He ate with people. And when people encountered him and understood who he was, they were transformed. They went out and proclaimed his name. They were sent out. And in this vision, when seraphs are singing and chanting how holy the Lord is, I notice that they're not saying how sinful Isaiah is. When Isaiah sees the holiness of God, that is when he knows he needs to change. That's the power of God. Not when someone told him how bad he was, and I can't emphasize this enough, but the coal, the coal that was offered, cleansed, it healed, it comforted. 
You know, I was reminded this past week by a woman in my Monday morning women's Bible study that this past Monday, May 24th, was the anniversary of John Wesley's Aldersgate experience. If you don't know the story, you're not a Methodist nerd. I'll give you the Note version. So John Wesley was an Anglican priest. He had been in America trying to basically church plant. He had kind of accidentally made this new movement, which became Methodism. But basically, it was a massive failure, massive failure. So he went back to London, and he, on his way, and, and while back there, he encountered some Moravians, and he attended a service with them. And the preacher that night was reading um, something from Martin Luther, uh, preface to the letter of Romans. And in that moment at Aldersgate, John Wesley had his heart strangely warmed. Now, to be honest, weird phrase. (laughs) I feel like they could have had something different. He could have felt something, but regardless, he was strangely warmed. But somehow in that conversation with the Moravians, the the way that he heard the word that night, he was transformed and changed forever. And I believe it's because he encountered the living God in a new way. And so when we try to force people to get it, to understand it, when we shame them, when we judge them, when we guilt them, we're not really allowing them to meet God in a way that transforms them. And so this story was a good reminder to me in so many ways. And I think for all of us, that we should, of course, invite people alongside us, have good conversations, listen, but it's really about them encountering God for themselves. That's when the change happens. Okay, so the second thing that this made me think of, yes, that was all just point one, so buckle up for point two. (laughs) I thought about how often we have approached the throne of God. When we have seen a glimpse of the Lord, maybe we are in church, And the sermon is going, you know, pretty well. We are nodding our head. We like what the preacher is saying. Maybe we even shout out a little amen, probably a whisper. And then it happens. That sermon starts to step on our toes. It makes us feel a little challenged, a little convicted. We don't like the way it makes us feel. Maybe we even get a little angry. Maybe we start to tune it out. Or maybe we even walk out. Or maybe we're listening to a speaker and the same thing happens again and we don't like what it stirs up in us so we shove it down. Maybe we're in a therapist's room and we don't like the question they ask and we do not want to answer it. Or maybe we're reading a book and you liked it until the author said something and so you say, huh, enough of that. And so you close the book, you put it to the side, and you never open it again. Now you may be saying, Reagan, it's a little bit of a stretch to compare a speaker or a book to the throne of God, and I'll admit it is. But we have to believe that the Holy Spirit stirs things up in us that sometimes are uncomfortable. So I think it's funny that we have no problem proclaiming when the Holy Spirit does something that confirms something good or brings things together, but we kind of have an issue when the Holy Spirit starts to bring about something that makes us uncomfortable or convicts us. See, if I'm going to believe in a God that is still creating, 
if I'm going to believe in a God that is still living, if I'm going to believe in a God that continues to move and be active in this world, then you better believe I want to be listening and aware of all the ways in which God can be speaking to me. The way God transforms us just isn't reserved to the pages of the Bible or in the walls of the church. Are they a major part? Absolutely. But the only way? No. And so in order to be transformed, we have to face some things about ourselves that are not good. We have to admit to things. That's why I'm pro-counseling and therapy. This is why I think everyone should be involved in a small group where you can share real stuff, where you can pray for one another and encourage one another. This is why I'm convinced we need to read and listen to things that we don't always agree with. This is why we need friends and voices that are different than ours. As I was writing this, I was thinking, going a mental list of all my friends, and I think out of my top 20 friends or so, I think only like three or four don't work for a church, but they're married to a pastor. (laughs) So there's my cards. I'm very much in a bubble. See, scripture is convicting and comforting. It is both. Because even in the harshest of instructions, there is a remedy, there is a solution. There is this thread throughout scripture of forgiveness and grace. And when we come to church, we need to have our ears fully open, our hearts ready and prepared. And when something doesn't sit well or makes us uncomfortable, maybe that's when we should sit up a little straighter. Maybe that's when we should get on the edge of our seats and maybe we should take some notes. Because make no mistake, who God is, the fullness of the Trinity is holy. And when we are faced with listening and looking at the holiness of God, we may feel like, oh my goodness, I do not measure up. But really, I think it's in those moments where we get it, where we understand who God is, that we are not God, and that it pulls us into this relationship through love. And even when we realize how holy God is and how truly amazing God is, it doesn't make us feel less loved or not of sacred worth. It should remind us of how much God truly loves us and how God wants to change us. I love that God's word isn't about announcing how dreadful or sinful we are, but it's about telling the story of redemption and grace and love and that we have sacred worth and that we can be used by God. It's a chance of transformation. See, the power in seeing the Grand Canyon, it inspired me and moved me to think about how can I take care of the earth? Maybe it's simply uh, sending money to preserve state parks, or maybe it's picking up trash in your own neighborhood. Whatever it is, there's something about encountering God that changes you or seeing the ocean and how vast it is and feeling small, but being reminded that I am loved by God. And even though I'm small and there's so many other people, that God still sees me. Being in a cathedral removes me to be thankful all and all the ways in which God has continued to move and reach more people and how we need to keep opening our doors to as many people as possible. In the Holy Land, realizing that a misfit group of men can make a movement spread. And so it pushes me to come back to my own place and see what kind of movement I can create through the power of the Holy Spirit. Holding a newborn baby, oh man, 
whether it's my own or someone else's, it moves me in a way to do better so I can help create a world that is better for this baby. And so that baby experiences less hatred, less pain, less whatever it is. It inspires me to do something. And then, of course, seeing that Kansas sign, remembering that Kansas is actually God's country. <laughs> See, friends, if we truly want to be transformed, if we really want to be able to be sent We have to face the fullness of who God is and the fullness of who we are, even the not so good parts about ourselves. But we know we have a good God that loves us more than we could ever, ever fathom. A God that doesn't want to condemn or shame or judge, but a God that wants to embrace us, transform us, and then send us out into a world to transform it. And Isaiah realized how truly holy God was There's no denying it. And so then he said, yes, send me. And that story can be ours too. So I hope when you have that moment when you encounter God, you take the coal. Take the coal and give thanks to God. Amen.